This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, thank God you're here early, man. Hey, we got a big problem. Is mom's chili hitting you the same way it's hitting me? Because it's killing me, dude. Oh, spicy. I'll tell you, it's spicy. She's got to lay off the yeah. rotel. But no, no, no. We got a bigger problem. Oh, well, I mean, I'm your man. That's all I do all day long is solve problems, Joe. What can I help you with? Well, I don't, I don't know about that, but listen to this. Peter Lazaroff, you know, the great CFP. Yeah. Oh yeah. I invited him to come down to the basement and I realized oh. too late, like how territorial OG can get, like yeah. how, how, how much pride he has in the great work he does. Oh man. We can't even see Peter Lazaroff. Yeah. He's not going to take that well. Let me think about this for a second. Um, oh, here it is. We lie to OG. We just, you just don't tell him. Well, I thought about that, but dude, you know, I don't lie because I don't have a good enough memory. I will get caught. Yeah, you will. But we don't have time to come up with a better plan. So oh, he gets to take notes, be on your A game, and, and you just got to bring it today, man. You got to bring your lying game today. He gets so angry. He does. Yeah. Yeah, what else are we going to do? Do you have a better plan? There is no better plan, so of course you don't. No, it's time. We got to get this thing started. So, okay, let's get this open going before he before he gets here. Okay. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and have you ever had two people who you know run into each other and it's a little awkward? Well, don't tell OG, but today we have another CFP on the show. Not a better CFP, but, you know, it, it just feels different with him. Oh, 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 shh, OG's coming down the stairs. To talk about where to start with your Benjamins, we welcome the author of Making Money Simple, Peter Lazaroff. Then we'll have headlines, throw out the Haven Lifeline to a guy in Tennessee who's wondering about reward points, and I'll share my sneaky trivia. And now, two guys who are the most loyal podcast host buddies in the whole world and the, the bestest CFP ever, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey there, everybody. Well, let me be the first to welcome you to Wednesday. You made it halfway through the week. It's all downhill from here. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, the man, the myth, the OG. Peter freaking Lazaroff. Are you kidding me? What? What? Ten years. Ten years. We just had our anniversary, for crying out loud. What is this, a ten-year itch? 
I think you heard. I think you heard Doug wrong. He didn't say Dude, Peter. No, Lazaroff. I went through your text messages You're when you were looking. Te- why are you going through my text messages? Hey, it's a succession plan thing. Like I have to have my face ID on your phone so I can get all the passwords in case. Well, one of us is going to get hit by a bus before the other. That's probably you, based on your behavior lately, young man. Golly, I don't even know that I want to be here. Doug, did we did we mention Peter Lazaroff? Did we say Peter Lazaroff? I don't know what you're talking about. You didn't say Peter Lazaroff, did you? I didn't say Peter Lazaroff. I heard it. I heard it. No, no. I'm not an old guy like you guys with bad ears. Mom and dad are fighting. We we would not. It's ridiculous. We would not do that to you. You know what we do have? We got a great headline today. Got a fantastic Haven Lifeline OG. Come on, buddy. Come on. Oh, it's going to be great. I can tell. I don't even know. I mean, do I need to be here? Well, hold on. You want to be here for this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country And I also think about some of our active service members want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal's insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Peter Lazaroff not coming down to the basement. Dude, we wouldn't do that. You and I had the talk. I said we wouldn't have Peter on. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great show. Just you and me and a headline. So let's get moving. Just like old times, buddy. Don't sweet talk me. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Investment News. This is written by Jeff Benjamin. Alliance Bernstein makes a late push into, wait for it, OG, wait for it, ETFs. They're like, hey, there's this new thing. Never heard of them. And we should jump into this. This might be a place where we want to participate. Alliance Bernstein plans to launch active ETFs in the U.S. later this year, and it's recruited Noel Archer from State Street to head the effort. 55-year-old Nashville, Tennessee-based asset management company with approximately $700 billion. You can't live on $700 billion, but it's a, you know, it's a nice start. Good start. Under yep. management in mutual funds and separate accounts. Last Wednesday, announced the hiring of Noel Archard, who will join, uh, well, two days ago, from State Street Global Advisors to become global head of ETF and portfolio solutions at Alliance Bernstein. They are going to announce their first active exchange traded funds in the u.s this year why active exchange traded funds i don't you know i don't really care what alliance bernstein does i wanted to bring this up og because as i was flipping through investment news i'm like you know what we haven't talked about active etfs in a little while and yet it feels like every week i see more and more of these things the vast majority of the new issues are active active etfs and just because it says active doesn't mean it could a bad thing it just means that there's some sort of other layer of decision-making involved, not just blindly following an index. I mean, it's the cornerstone of the three-factor model, the, the whole idea of you can be passive 
and still make good decisions by eliminating the things that have a decreased likelihood of providing excellent results. Unprofitable companies, for example. You don't have to hold them in your passive portfolio. You're saying that active ETFs really can be 99% passive. They're just not following an index? Yeah, or they're following an index, but they're adding another layer to it. Anything that you hear that says something like smart beta, any sort of momentum type of trading, any of those things doesn't mean that the person's in there day trading, you know, penny stocks. But it sounds like it's also what you're saying, too, is it's not like the 90s anymore when it was 99% mutual fund. You know, I remember picking mutual fund managers when I was a new advisor. Well, it's the same thing. This is the, the old thing is the new thing all over again. It's just a different structure. You know, ETFs have a better tax structure than mutual funds. Uh, they allow a little bit more shucking and jiving a little bit when it comes to taxes, if you're in a taxable account. And that's kind of all the rage. You know, I mean, you got to swim where everybody else is swimming if you're in that business. How, how can you be a mutual fund manager when everybody else is moving over to ETFs? So you can do the same thing. Well, sure. But I feel like there's two different words people know now, right? There's two hot button buzzwords. ETF is buzzword and passive is a buzzword. Mm, I don't even think passive is the buzzword. I think people assume that an ETF is passive and most ETFs are index funds. That's the collection of all of that information, which is obviously not correct. But you can have a passive, just like, I mean, to pick on Vanguard, just like everybody thinks Vanguard's a index fund manufacturer. The vast majority of ETFs for Vanguard are active. Their flagship stuff is passive index funds, but they have lots of active trading going on as well. So it's not better or worse. It's just we have to recognize that all those words mean different things. What do we do with it, though? I mean, with active versus passive, like where does active management then go in our portfolio? This is unique to everybody, I think. The real answer is, can you predict outperformance in advance? And the answer is, of course, no. So it doesn't matter whether or not, you know, fund manager Bob Smith or Susie Smith have done well in the past, which is our only evaluation that we have. We can only look at previous track records to decide if that person is worthy of our money. And so my question then is, is if that person has outperformed in the past, does that mean that they will outperform in the future? And the answer, of course, is no. There's no statistical evidence of that. So if you're going to invest in things that are very kind of run-of-the-mill, large U.S. growth tech companies. Do you think that you're going to find a fund manager who's going to knock the socks off of the S&P or the NASDAQ? Probably not. Kathy Wood. That info- <laughs> Yeah. And by knock the pants off, you mean the other way? <laughs> because what is she down like 87% in the last two years? Getting smoked? Yes. The broader the strategy, the more a passive index fund makes sense. S&P 500, NASDAQ, whatever. If you want to invest in Taiwanese semiconductor operations, you probably need somebody who knows a thing or two about that. And that's where having an active manager or somebody who has the ability to add their own little spin or flavor to the investing can make sense. It's not likely that just buying a broad-based index, and even if it existed, of you know, a specific country or a specific area exists. So, so yeah, in some cases, it makes sense to have a, a fund manager, a portfolio manager who is taking a more active approach. And don't read that to mean we should be day trading penny stocks. That's not what I mean yeah. by that. I actually dove into the the numbers to see how big the active section of the ETF market is. This piece is also from Investment News, also written by Jeff Benjamin. According to CFRA data, through the end of last year, OG, active ETFs made up 4% of all ETF assets. So there really isn't a ton going on there. But here's the, here's the interesting thing. But that's where all the new money is going, is what I think. Yeah, it so said they represent 10% of ETF net inflow. So it is a growing segment of the market. But the biggest thing, independent registered investment buyers are the largest people buying them are the largest 
segment of the market purchasing active ETFs. It isn't the little guy that doesn't know better. It's an RIA. It's a registered investment advisory. Why? How? What do you think that's about? Well, it's all the stuff that I just said. It's the cornerstone. We do a ton of business with dimensional funds. And for all intents and purposes, they're a passive investor, but they would never fall under the passive category here because they have uh, fund managers who take a look at the areas of higher expected return and then make decisions based on including or excluding investments or including or excluding companies from those based on their academic approach. So, And those are sometimes just slivers, by the way. Like they're taking the S&P 500 and carving just little pieces off of it. Yeah. So by definition, that's active. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more you know about a place like Dimensional, I think you know that it's pretty passive. By the way, the major old school mutual fund players have recently moved into the active ETF space. Listen to these names that have gotten in just recently. American Century, we mentioned Dimensional, Davis Funds, Fidelity, Franklin Templeton, Janice Henderson, JP Morgan, Nuveen, PIMCO, and Principal all uh, jumping in. Well, and now aligns Bernstein, right? Yeah, all of the, I would say the vast majority of the new issues are all going to be active. No one's going to catch iShares, you know, S&P 500 or Vanguard, you know, S&P 500 index. I mean, they're, they've got so much of the market in that, in those products, but the new stuff is moving more toward active. And I think the definition of it, I mean, here's a way you can kind of tell whether or not your portfolio is masquerading as a, as a, as a passive product, but really is take a look at the turnover and you look at the fund data, it'll say, here's what the turnover of the product is. And if that number is 5%, 10%, 20%, that means if they held a hundred things, only 20 of them are going to get replaced in any one year. There's some products that you can see some mutual funds or some ETFs where the turnover is 100 120 means right or 120 that means not only did they buy and sell everything they did it more than once so the lower the turnover the more it tends to be a more passive type of strategy and so you can take a product like Avantis funds which is part of American Century and they're you know i mean they're active but they take a similar approach to dimensional and to some of the other factor products out there that just say why do we have to have a company that's not profitable in our portfolio? We know statistically unprofitable companies don't do well on a whole. So why would we have those? Let's take those out. Well, boom, you're an active fund, just like that. So it doesn't make it bad. It's just a different way of doing it. Place to look for that data, by the way, that uh, you may not know about if you're new to the show uh, called Morningstar.com. And uh, Morningstar will hit you up when you go there to purchase an account to use their paid product. For the average person, you don't need to pay for it. Just right. click through that screen, use the free product, and you'll be able to see everything I think that the average investor needs. If you really want to put your whole portfolio in there and do some portfolio analyzation stuff, you can then pay for it. But I think that's... Uh, and another great place is Portfolio Visualizer. Oh, good. Yeah. The website. Uh, they also have a paid product also, but they've got some great free tools that you can use. We'll link to both of those in our show notes and also in uh, our newsletter, the 201 stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. I'm still not over this thing, by the way, Joe. What thing? This lying, the deceit. There is no thing. Where's your phone? I'm going to prove it to you. My phone's upstairs. Okay. Forget my phone. God, would you two just stop? Stop. Okay, watch. I'm I'm going to show you. you. Where are you going? I'll be back. Just wait. No, no. I'll be back. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. He's hot, Joe. Dude, we dodged that bullet for now. I don't know. It's not good. I think he's... Heading in the wrong direction here. Coming up next, great friend of the show, Peter Lazaroff, coming down to the basement. He's he's waiting over behind the peaches, and uh, I can't believe you got him down here, Doug. Nice job. Peter not only is the author of a great book called Making Money Simple, The Complete Guide to Getting Your Financial House in Order and Keeping It That Way Forever. He's also the host of the great new podcast, just started last summer, The Long-Term Investor podcast. Those things are what he does in his quote spare time. But Peter is in his full-time job, the chief investment officer at PlanCore, which manages Doug only, only $5.5 billion. Yeah. Peter only manages $5.5 billion. Little money. 
I'll, I'll give him a few tips. Yeah, we're super happy to have somebody come into the microphone who uh, knows the stuff inside out, Peter Lazaroff. But first, I guess you probably need to cruise through some trivia, Doug. Yeah, we do. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, man, I hate it when Joe puts me in these situations. Things have been weird in the basement ever since Peter slipped into Joe's DMs. I think OG suspects something. He's all like, who are you texting the headlines to? And why aren't you saying my name on the call? And I don't believe that the guest today is just a meaningless voice. I hear that little spark when you talk to him, Joe. Jeez, men. This is why you can't trust anything out of their mouths, especially when they say they're helping their parents all weekend and why you should never date someone who wears a necklace and... Oh, Paulette... For the last time, get your personal life out of the scripts, please. That got a little personal, Doug. Wow. I just got, I got to read these ahead of time. (laughs) She just doesn't know when to stop sometimes. Anyway, speaking of dirty, dirty cheaters, the government is another easy target for people cheating on their taxes. My trivia question today is, in a recent Credit Karma survey, what percentage of people anonymously admitted that they cheated on their taxes? Is it 6%? 16% or 60%. I'll be back with the answer after I fudge some some numbers over here on this piece of paper. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money, And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now... Because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey there, stackers. I'm bromance wingman and bros before tax pros believer, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Cheaters never win and winners never cheat, but that doesn't mean people don't try, right? According to an anonymous survey by Credit Karma, do you know how many people said they cheated on their taxes? Well, the answer is 6%. And in totally unrelated news, a full 94% reported that they, wink, wink, would never cheat. See ya! I'm so glad we got him here. Peter Lazaroff in the basement. How are you, man? Joe, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me down here. Well, I'm Spacious s- down here. That's <laughs> not what I was expecting. Everybody says that. They expect less. And yet you've got the Nintendo over there. You've got Dead Shortwave Radio over there. I mean, there's plenty to do besides sit here. But, but you're a longtime money geek, though, my friend. I was reading the introduction to your book. 
like money kind of changed your life. You had no interest in reading. And then all of a sudden you want to read everything about finances. Yes. I was that kid whose mother made him sit at the kitchen table and stared at me while I did my homework because I wouldn't do it. And I'm supposed to read out loud. I'm supposed to do my homework. And all it took was a little bit of an introduction into investing that it opened my mind. And I'm one of those weird kids. I was maybe 12 when this dawned on me to think, wow, I really want to do that when I grow up and actually be right. So I am wildly fortunate to be in a situation where I found a passion early in life. And once I could focus on that passion even more in college, that's actually when I became a much better student. Because in high school, you're sort of forced to learn a lot of different things, which I now realize is important. And here I am as an adult going back and learning many of those things because they interest me. So, so thrilled that I get a chance to talk to you for a little bit here. Yeah. While we, while we sneak you in around OG, make sure that he has no idea that you're here. We got to get on this. Let's do it. <laughs> my my beginning with money was not in school. And in fact, while you bring up school, you know, in high school, your financial education didn't didn't start with school. Why don't we teach this stuff in high school? It's so weird. I think some high schools introduce it as maybe an elective later on. But when you think about being 16 or 17 or 18, talking about mortgages is pretty hard to relate to. But even just trying to instill the difference between debt and savings and compound interest. We all learn about compounding at some point in math, but very rarely is it applied to, hey, and by the way, when you get out of college, here's the important thing to do. If you forget everything else in this lesson about compound interest, except this, or maybe these two things, here's what you need to know. I'm not sure that financial education has to be very expansive. And there's actually a lot of academic research that shows that it creates overconfidence. And I learned this after Mm. publishing the book. However, now there's newer academic research. And some would say that the tools that we had when that research was written, namely the internet and iPads, et cetera, and apps were not good enough to really have a fair shake. I go talk to seniors in high school uh, twice a year. And I speak to seniors and juniors in college all the time. But in high school, you can tell them the importance of saving for retirement, the importance of avoiding credit card debt, and the importance of saving some percentage, no matter what, of their money right when they get into the workforce and show them the power of compounding. But you can show them just three really simple things and make sure that they remember some wow lessons from compounding. And that might actually make a big difference to begin with. I want to talk about some of those wow lessons, but I want to first start with your own journey toward <laughs> toward money education. Yours is, involves a jukebox and your dad, and you're maybe six years old when you got your first money lesson that you can remember? Yes. So we're sitting at a place in St. Louis called Cafe Manhattan. They have this super thin crust pizza. And we would go there as a family pretty often. And we'd sit at the table and we'd have some quarters there playing hockey where we spread our fingers out and flick the coins between them. And the jukebox is there. And I asked my dad, can I have a quarter to put in a song? And he asks me, well, is it worth your money? And I say, no. And he goes, okay, well, it's not worth mine. And I'm thinking, well, shoot, I got hosed. (laughs) I'm an eight-year-old and a four-year-old today. So I know what it's like to play some mental gymnastics with my children. And so we're at this place all the time. We're back there a week or two later, I think. And we're playing this coin hockey game on the table. And again, I'm thinking I'm pretty clever here. I say, hey, dad, can I have a quarter for the jukebox? He asks me again, is it worth your money? And this time I say, yes. You got the answer now. To me. Right. I know the answer. He goes, great. Go spend your own money. And And so (laughs) we didn't talk that much about money as a family. It wasn't a regular conversation at the dinner table. I had an allowance at some point, but that is the first time I remember thinking about money. And I did start to value money a little differently. So I realized that when I had it, that it doesn't just grow on trees. We all say, oh, money doesn't grow on trees. That was the first moment I thought, okay, so the money is important. He didn't give me any lessons after that that were strictly money, but it was a really good example that sort of emphasized that money has value. And I always talk to clients and I talk in my writing and on podcasts about the importance for parents just to talk with their kids about money. Parents sometimes are afraid to do so because they don't feel like experts themselves. And you don't have to be an expert. You can sometimes say, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll look it up and get back to you. Sort of the same thing that we would do in our professions too. 
But that was a really big pivotal moment for me. Um, the next kind of big moment in childhood was my grandmother gave me a share of Nike stock for my 12th birthday. And what was interesting was she went and bought that share of stock, I think a month or two before from her broker, you're just kind of getting, I have a December 20th birthday. So she was trying to get all her Christmas shopping out of the way. My birthday is always an afterthought. All of you December birthday listeners out there can totally relate. And you'll also know that none of us care. We're totally used to it. So (laughs) you you get um, to know early on who the cheap people are in your family. (laughs) That's right. But grandma gives me this piece of paper. It says Nike on it. And I think, well, what the heck? Because I wanted video games and, you know, there's cool shoes, sweatshirts. And here I get a piece of paper, but she explains to me, well, hey, that Nike sweatshirt you're wearing, those Nike shoes that you're wearing, you now own a piece of that company. And as it turns out, the stock split since I bought it. So now you get two shares. I go, oh, I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, cool. I get two pieces of paper instead of one. Well, three months later, the stock splits again. So now I have four shares. And I don't understand the math at this age that doesn't necessarily mean I have more. It just means the math behind dividing the share price is different. Which at this point, by the way, not to cut you off, Peter, but at this point, that kind of works in your favor that you don't understand that because you feel like you have more. Like somebody, somebody on Facebook this morning as I got up was really excited that Alphabet is doing this huge split now. And they're like, fantastic. And there's person after person railing against her going, well, that still means you got the same amount. It just it's split differently. And I'm like, don't rain in her parade. She's excited about it. Yeah. Anything that's going to get you excited about investing and learning more is a good thing in my book. And that sort of picked the interest. And so I started asking more questions. But the real kicker was the $1 dividend check I got in the mail within a few months. And then I was hooked. I'm like, oh my gosh, someone is sending me money and I'm not doing anything. This is amazing. From there, I really was interested in learning more. I was convinced I have to put all my money into stocks. I have to invest. And there was a Peter Lynch book. And for those who don't know, Peter Lynch you know, was really famous back then for being one of the best mutual fund managers. And his big thing was invest in what you know, which I don't want to get into the, the pluses and minuses of that approach, but he wrote a book and a modified book for teenagers. And so I remember reading that book. I honestly don't remember much from it anymore because I've read so much since then. But I was totally hooked then because to me, investing in money was a lot like a puzzle that could be solved and there was a way to win. So if you take these steps, you'll get to climb. And I'm a really competitive person. My whole life, I feel like I'm just trying to get to the next level. And if there isn't a level to climb up to, I will build a level just so I can climb <laughs> so up there. And <laughs> I'm like that, that <laughs> twisted person who wants to keep climbing. But with the investing at a young age, I was hooked on stocks. My grandmother continued to give me a share of stock, a different stock that I was familiar with on each birthday. So I had Disney, I had Apple, I had Nokia, wah, wah. Um, I had <laughs> Microsoft, you know, I had things that, that I recognized. And I held all those stocks up until about a decade ago, actually. They naturally appreciated a lot. Nike, holy cow. But I ultimately donated them away when I made a personal choice and pivot to say, hey, I understand the individual stocks are a lot riskier than what they seem. And now I don't do that anymore. I'm very interested in a hobby way on what some individual stocks do, but it was tough getting the last share of Nike gifted away. There was an emotional attachment to it. And I finally ripped the bandaid because I'm familiar enough with behavioral finance that I knew it was happening. And and here I am today now overseeing a little more than $6 billion for people across the country. And it's been, it's been quite a ride. It's like the blankie though. You know, getting rid of your blankie. You're like, no, we can't get rid of my blankie. Or when you get married, your wife wants to dump the great chair. You know, you can't get rid of the chair. Joe, I have a desk in my office. Yes. That is, uh, that is my old kitchen table. And she's been pushing me to get a new desk. And I bought this table for $90 the year I got out of college. I'm still using it now as a desk these days. And I don't want to get rid of it. We get emotional attachment and we definitely get emotionally attached to our investments. And Joe, I know you know this, and maybe some of your listeners know that there's a lot of research that shows that we place more value on something that we already own than if we wouldn't own it. So if you showed me the desk that sits in my office and you offered it to me for $90, I'd say, no way, I'm not buying that. Piece <laughs> Forget <of junk."> it. <laughs> but because I own it, I want it. And, and, and the same thing holds true with stocks. So with stocks, and so with the Nike stock, that was the last one to exit my portfolio. I was a little sad, but you know, 10 years later, 
didn't make a difference in the world. But is this another reason? I mean, there's plenty of reasons that you point to in the book and that we've all read about, Peter. Is this another reason to do diversified index-based kind of investing versus buying individual stocks? Because, I mean, it's hard for me to get all warm and fuzzy about the S&P 500. You know, the, That's right. the, the Russell, you're real I love me some Russell. American feeling yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. If, if the S&P 500 were issued in a piece of paper that were looked like the American flag, maybe you could, you know, go that route. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm very emotionally unattached to my investments. And some of that is my experience. So I certainly invested in individual stocks from a young age. And I learned a lot of, but the real learning experience for me was my first year out of college was 2007, which is when the financial crisis started. And I had already been an investor in previous recessions because of these individual stocks. But candidly, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on as, as some stocks were going up, they were going down. But over the course of the financial crisis, the S&P 500 dropped about 60% over an 18 month period. And I remember thinking, hmm, this is a bear market. Okay, cool. And when you're just starting out, you basically don't have any money. So losing 60% of a couple thousand dollars, it's not that frightening. Whereas losing 60% today might be a little more frightening. However, I'm really, I don't check my portfolio that much. I have highly diversified funds. I don't have to worry about the fact that Peloton, which was flying high in 2020, is now crashing here today. I don't have to worry if Nordstrom's going to go out of business or stay alive. I don't have to worry if Apple has seen the end of its innovation. I just, I just own all the companies and the winners are going to carry my portfolio in a diversified manner. It is really boring. And I have no issue with people having an entertainment account or a play account where you put some money in there and trade stocks and recognize that it's a hobby, but you got to leave your long-term investments alone. And I think the thing that struck me when writing the book, I know about the power of compounding, but the more and more and more you get familiar with the holy cow type examples, you think, okay, all I got to do with investing is minimize mistakes and stay the heck out of the way of compound interest and I'm going to do fine. And that's a lot of where my mentality comes from with my own savings. You mean, you mean stay in the way of compounding interest, right? Well, stay the heck out of the way. Cause like if you interrupt you it, mean, oh, you mean, oh, you mean let it compound. I got you. Yeah. Let it compound. Yes. 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 Thank you. I'm like, I think well, I want to get run over. So your editorial language is a little stronger <laughs> than mine right now, but yes, you want to allow things to compound in your favor all decisions in your life. And my book was a lot about not just the compounding of investing, but how do you compound all the little decisions and automate it and try to make it easy so that it all compounds in your favor over time? Because you go to the gym once or twice for 30 minutes and you're not going to just have a six pack. You know, you feel better that day. Um, sometimes our little fitness devices will be alerted by how much we've worked out and that will freak them out. But ultimately with your finances, you can do a 30 to 60 minute workout. The benefit compounds forever. The financial six pack is a possibility due to one financial workout. And that's really powerful stuff when you think about it. Is that why you start there? Because that is the number one thing you talk about is compounding just so that everybody gets hooked. Yes. So I actually had the compound interest chapter in with the investing portion. Yeah. This later. I was just chaotically writing a ton of words on the front end. I actually wrote like 80% of the book in maybe two weeks and wow. then just spent a year editing. So if anybody needs advice on what not to do for writing a book, we could talk about that forever. So, um, <laughs> but with the compounding, what I started to realize is that a lot of what has allowed me to be personally financially successful, as well as coach others, is it's all these little things. And if anyone's read Atomic Habits, that book came out after mine. And I remember thinking, darn it, I wish I would have read that and incorporated more of those ideas into my own book, because really it is the little things that you do on the edges with your finances, you don't really notice immediately. That's for sure. It takes a while, but it's impossible to ignore the long-term outcome. And I try to do the shock and awe approach in the book. Uh, if you don't mind me sharing, I'll share this example of folding a piece of paper that, that completely was a, blew my that, mind. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. So everybody's kind of familiar with the thickness of a piece of printer paper. It's a 10th of a millimeter. Maybe you didn't know that, but you can kind of picture how thin it is. If you fold that piece of paper in half once, you've now doubled the thickness. And if you fold the piece of paper in half again, now the paper is four times as thick. If you fold that piece of paper 50 times, the thickness stretches from here 
to the sun, which is so mind boggling. And I have a graphic up there that shows it's seven folds. It's the thickness of a notebook at 14 folds. It's the average height of a person, which I think surprises people at 17 folds. It's the height of a two-story house, 21 folds. It's at the empire state building, 42 folds. It's to the moon, 50 at the sun. And I remember the first time I read this and I thought, no way. And I put it in a spreadsheet to kind of run the math myself. And it's incredible. It's those sort of things you think, well, how often can I double my money in my lifetime? Because I learned in school the rule of 72, which means you just take 72 and you divide it by some return. And that's how many years it takes to double. Now, writing a book and trying to make the math easy, I said, okay, 8% return, plug that in. That means my money's going to double every nine years. And then here's the big aha moment for savers is how many doubling periods do you have left? And if you're in your 20s, I'd argue you got five to seven decades. If you're in your 60s, I'd still argue you have two to three decades to double. A lot of people fight me when they're in their 60s when they hear that. I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but if you're in your 80s and you're going to outlive your money, then some of your money is really for whoever's going to inherit it and it's their time horizon. So thinking about the power of that, I have an example of Ben Franklin, but I'll pause, you know, again, he putting in money and how it compounded over 200 years. We don't have 200 years to do it, but we definitely have lots of doubling periods and thinking about the power of that as you start to dig into your own financial plan is really powerful stuff. Yeah. The Ben Franklin analogy, he gave money to two different cities you write. And of course we love Ben Franklin here stacking those things, but, but, but so any, any Ben Franklin reference we're all about. It's, it's pretty powerful, but even more so, I think, for everybody out there, that idea that it's only 50 times. Like you think about how quickly, if you could do it, you could fold this piece of paper 50 times. And it shows that acceleration, which, by the way, and for the more long term money geeks out there, this is the problem. For people that are new, I think it's important to just get started. But for people that have been around for a while and, and are kind of on the 201 and 301, this has always been my problem, Peter, with target date funds, with one of them, is that. We get rid of the the gas. We let off the gas a little too early, I think, in a target date fund. And I think, you know, there's 50 other problems I have with the target date fund, but that is a big one, is that we really need that last double. We see people don't save enough money. They start too late. And then we get rid of that last double because we don't have the confidence to diversify our assets or just leave it in there, which is frustrating because, as you know, it's not as hard as people think it is. Yeah. And it's, it's a hot button issue for a lot of people. I'm in your camp that target date funds get conservative too quickly. They are really, truly a great vehicle for someone who has zero financial advice and zero intention of seeking financial advice. Great tool. But if you are seeking financial advice, uh, be it through a professional advisor or even just listening to your podcast, Joe, you know, I've been listening to your podcast a long time. Listeners obviously pick up things. You know, target date fund isn't always going to be the best because you are dialing back the return and you have plenty of time to compound further. And as you enter retirement, if you lower your returns, you permanently impair the income generating ability of your portfolio. That doesn't mean that you're going to lose your money. It just means that you could have had a lot more at some point. Risk tolerance aside, you know, I would agree with you. That's definitely yeah. a shortcoming for someone who is willing to do the homework to seek where they should be or has an advisor to help them make those choices. So I'll get off that train because because I'm going down the nerd train there, and then we'll get back on the basics. <laughs> That's right, I'll, and I'll follow you down any nerd investing. Train. Well, because I oh, yeah. also want to go down the rabbit hole of the 85 year old who is still invested in a lot of stocks, and you know the grandkids screaming about the fact, Grandma, you shouldn't be in all stocks because look at your age. And to your point, if she's going to outlive the money, but I won't go down that rabbit hole because that is <laughs> that is it's another frustrating thing because uh, we don't begin with the end of mind, which is the next thing that you talk about. And we talk about this a lot on the show. You begin talking about saving toward the future, Peter, that I really want to get into. And you start off with saving for retirement, like save to get the match in your 401k. So let's talk about order of operations. You've got your uh, saving for retirement places first, and then you circle back to emergency fund after that, where you know there's a lot of people that will go, no, 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 put some money in a savings account first but you don't go there. Do you switch those around on purpose? I do. First of all, it's not necessarily one or the other. And as I go through, as you point out, it's order of operations is the perfect explanation because I'm looking for what is the highest return on investment for your capital allocation, not to be confused with asset allocation. When you have your excess savings, where are you going to get the most bang for your buck? And you have to 
have to have to put your money in your employer retirement plan to get the match. That is an automatic double. So to me, we're going back to that doubling example. There is no free double out there except for your company's match. So that's probably the one place where I say above everything else, that is the number one priority. After that, I still think that you want to prioritize retirement over emergency fund, but I don't think that means that you only do retirement. Maybe if all you have left over is putting $25 a paycheck into an emergency fund, that's great because an emergency fund, um, to me, especially because I came out of school just before the financial crisis, emergency fund felt like the right term there. But over time, as I've grown, I'm realizing that there are times you can tap that account that aren't break the glass emergencies. You can use it opportunistically. And sure, our cash doesn't earn anything, but it's way more expensive to carry credit card debt because you couldn't pay a $400 or $500 expense, which we see those stats come out of the Federal Reserve all the time that a huge swath of Americans can't come up with the money to pay that. But for your listeners who are a little more financially proactive and maybe have some savings, I think it's important to build that up, not just to have the, the safety of it, but to actually be able to use it opportunistically at some point in time. But I love the idea of this, that what I'm getting from you, I think, is this idea, don't wait on say uh, on investing to build your emergency fund. Like it doesn't have to be either or because a lot of people they're like, no, no, no. Once I, once I get my emergency fund, I pay off debt, then I'll start saving. You're saying don't do that. That's right. And there's an order of operations between retirement, emergency fund, debt. Like where does paying off certain debt fall within different retirement accounts based on their tax benefits? But yes, yeah. interest rate, tax deductibility, et cetera. And ultimately, you know, this is going to give you a mathematical framework for as you're setting short-term, medium-term, long-term goals to figure out, well, where should my money go first? And then I focus on some experiential stuff, some things that just make us happy with money. But the real kicker here is that uh, research has shown the neural patterns in our brains are identical for when we save for the future as giving money away to a complete stranger. So like, how do we bring that complete stranger that is our future self to the present to make choices that are going to be good for them in the long run. Meaning we don't want to do that. Like, you know, we don't want to save for ourselves. Who is that person? Yeah. And there's some exercises where I dream about the future within the book, but I think the dreaming part, the writing down goals is important. The saving for different retirement accounts, you know, going to your employer sponsored retirement plan, getting into a Roth IRA or deductible IRA. One thing I didn't have in the book because it's become more prominent since is a health savings account. You know, I often think that health savings accounts can be more powerful than a Roth IRA if you're able to invest those dollars. Um, but yes, working a little bit towards emergency fund, a little bit towards retirement at the same time, to me, they're priorities one in one A. I do think retirement gets the slight nod, but I, I wouldn't ignore one over the other. You talk a lot about automation. Let's start here. Building a budget that actually works that I don't have to sit with a spreadsheet for 14 hours a day, Peter, how do I build a budget that works? Well, I didn't come up with the term reverse budgeting. I have no idea who did, but I think I'm the person who uses it more than anybody else in finance. Now I used to sit in front of a spreadsheet and track every single expense. And again, remember my first two, three years are coming out of a major recession and there'd be people going to a hockey game and I'd look at my budget and be like, up, I'm out of that line item. I can't go. And that's insane. You know, if there's extra money there, why categorize it? Why be so rigid? Plus, it does require you to update a budget daily, weekly, monthly, which most people aren't going to do. The fact that I did it as long as I did is just showing the kind of person I am, you know, for data and for finances. That's a bad assumption that others can do that. With reverse budgeting, what you largely do is you tally up all the goals you have for yourself over the next five years. And that includes something like maxing out retirement. So even retirement can be a goal in the next five years if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. So figure out what are the savings goals you have over the next five years. Divide that number by 60 because there's 60 months in five years. And now what you have is how much you need to save every month. You can't spend what you don't save. You just automate those savings to the appropriate accounts. You never have to check budgets and you just spend as you see fit. Now, if you're carrying credit card balances, maybe this is a system that's too aggressive and, and wouldn't work for you. But the idea of reverse budgeting is something that's low maintenance, is directing dollars to the things that are most important to you, and is going to be automatic. Anytime you have the choice to do something or not do something, you are risking not doing something with your finances. So automation 
which was harder to do 15, 20 years ago, can be done really with any sort of finances at this point. So that is really a key part of the framework that I create throughout the book. I love that because we think it's discipline. And and you're saying specifically, it's not discipline. It is, I mean, you know, you can work out one time with your money and it'll make a, a difference. It's not about working out every day. If you work out every day, hey, great. But with your money, but just doing it once can pay big dividends. You talk about how if there's not enough money in your budget to do the things that you want to do after you've divided by 60 to get that five-year goal or whatever the goal might be. So then you have some quick savings wins first buy term life insurance instead of permanent. Yeah. Term is cheaper than permanent. Very few people, less than 1% of the universe is a good fit for permanent. That's how the insurers make more money. So they try to sell it to you. And I got a ton of one-liners that I learned from my sales internship at a big insurance company in chapter 11. So you can chuckle at yourself as you hear both the sales lines and my rebuttals later in the book. <laughs> it is it is so great. You know, it's funny, just as an aside, as a guy who also was at a big firm and the very first thing I got taught was a bunch of sales techniques. My mm-hmm. practice took off when I quit using those. Like when I, oh, how funny. When I, when I chuck those and I was just blunt with people about their money, like, Peter, I don't think we're going to make it. Really? Yeah. Let me show you how to do that. We'll do this and this and this. And then when I know more about you, we'll do this. People are like, how do I hire you? But, but when I would use the strong arm techniques that I was taught by the firm, oh, they were, they were so horrible. Anyway, that's a, that's a different podcast. Uh, increased deductibles on your auto is second. Increased deductible on your home is third. Why that order? Increase auto first and then home second? It's a less risky move in many ways to increase the deductible on your auto. You're self-insuring. This does assume that you do have some cash set aside, whether you're going to call it emergency fund, a liquidity fund, a cash reserve. The home insurance is a bit riskier because the dollar amounts are involved. Yes, you are more likely to get in a car accident, but the dollars are usually going to be lower. Oh, that's usually the order that I would recommend. Yeah, that deductible is going to be probably a higher number. Uh, Next up is to refinance your debt. Yeah, refinancing your debt, just dropping your interest costs. You do have to be careful, though, that you don't extend your debt term longer so that over the course of a lifetime, you're paying more interest. But in the short term, it can reduce monthly payments, whether it's on home, auto, student loans, et cetera. Uh, Buy cars less frequently. Well, nobody likes that advice. But uh, in the book, I share that the average length of car ownership is 6.6 years. And so that means that the average person is going to own nine or 10 cars for the time they graduate college to age 85. I'm just going to assume most people don't buy new cars after age 85, or at least they drive less. Just imagine if you bought one or two fewer cars, that ends up compounding into a lot. So if you could drive your car for seven or eight years, I also know that that's really where the math between buying used and new starts to break even. So you can even buy a new car. As long, if you're going to drive it for eight years, you're going to do just as well as if you buy used. The interesting thing here, and just to remind people, because we're having a discussion about this in our Facebook group right now, Peter, is that these are all suggestions if you need to save money. We had a big car debate where somebody was talking about, you should never buy a car. And my feeling is not to impart judgment on somebody else's golf. If you want to own a bunch of new cars all the time, that's great. But obviously decreasing your car cost, I think is a, can be a huge win, right? Where you live, yeah, where oh you live gosh. your car and then your grocery bill. But at some point, like if you have plenty of money, like the money should be enjoyed. And if having a leased car allows you to have a newer car more frequently and you can afford to do that, then sure. I mean, you can't try to pretend that that's a better financial deal, but if it makes you happy, by all means, you can sometimes lease to buy and have that be cheaper than just buying upfront sometimes. It's it's financially better to just live in a tent. Let's put it that way. Well, yes. Yes, that's true. We'll just eat peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) That's all you do. All day long. Yep. Yep. And then last, another easy win. And I, I won this battle. Change your cable or streaming. Well, and so this book came out a few years ago and the landscape has already changed a ton, but we cut the cord a long time ago. And we use DirecTV, which is with AT&T, and we turn it on and off as we need it. So the Olympics are here. You better believe that the cable's on, you know, the Super Bowl, the Olympics. Right. But there are periods and lulls in the year where we don't need to pay for it. But ultimately these days, and I think more so than even when I originally wrote the book, is it I probably pay more in content in video content than I did when I just had normal cable. Cause there's all these different yeah. channels that you got to subscribe to. 
you know, being dynamic in the process. There's an exercise that I go through in the book. It works really well if you have a significant other, where if you just print a list of expenses and you mark them as high value, medium value, low value, and you guys like then compare notes, anything with low value, just stop doing that. Stop that subscription, stop those services. If they're medium value, stop those subscriptions for sure. And and just live without them for a few months. See if you care. You, you can always turn them back on. The book is Making Money Simple out from Wiley. It's the complete guide to getting your financial house in order and keeping it that way forever. It's written really the way that Peter talks, very to the point. There's a bunch of humor in there, but it definitely is succinct. But you're going to do stackers uh, solid here, Peter. I couldn't believe that you said this. You're going to give some of these away. Yeah, it's kind of funny. The The publisher sent me some extra boxes that I did not order. And they're like, yeah, you can just keep them and give them away to people. I said, okay. So for the first hundred listeners who go to peterlazaroff.com slash free book and give me an email and, and mailing address, I will personally sign and ship you a copy of the book. I have three boxes. It actually comes out to 98 books or maybe it's 99. So I'll just I see one back there on, uh, that I can uh, <laughs> add to uh, to make it to 100. And so first 100 people who put that in, I will happily send you a book sometime in the next week or two. Yeah. And you have a newsletter and things too that people can sign up for when they come there, correct? Yes. Interestingly, if you sign up for my newsletter through the blog, you will get chapter one for free right out the gate. And that's the one that has all these crazy stories and examples about compound interest so if you go to peterlazaroff.com, or even if you go, because Lazaroff is difficult to spell, you can go to my podcast page, which is thelongtermainvestor.com. People can probably spell thelongtermainvestor.com. Sign up for the email. It's just a quick single welcome email where it says, hey, here's chapter one of my book and let me know what your big problems are so that I can start answering those on the show and in my writing. So head on over and do that. If you sign up for the book and you're giving me an email, your listeners are smart. You'll also get on the email list there. But yeah, but that's a whole book in that sense. So yeah, more, more competent financial advice. I'm out. There's no way yeah. that I want yeah. competent, unbiased financial advice, Peter. That would be horrible. <laughs> Why would I get a, that email? I'm, I I'm, know. I'm too busy getting my Outback email, my coupons. <laughs> and right. Uh, Peter, we got to smuggle you out of here before OG gets back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sneaky. I, I have soft feet real quiet. Hey, I'm Rob Berger. When I'm not rolling in the dough, that's right. I'm stacking Benjamins. Was that who I thought it was? Doing the walk of shame out the back door, holding his shoes? No, I told you. No. Sure look like him. Come on. Stick with me. Why don't we throw a Thaven lifeline, huh? Get your head. You're in a bad place today. Why don't you have Peter come and help you? Throw out the Haven lifeline. I got, I got no idea what you're talking about. Throw out the Haven Lifeline, tackle some of life's most important questions. So, gee, our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, my friend. What do you value, OG? Honesty, truthfulness, uh, not lying about other relationships. I'm just, oh my goodness, Doug, I should ask you. I should have asked you. He won't get off this thing. I love what they're doing at Haven Life because they're committed to offering a modern way to buy term life insurance. Their application simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable, of course. They're all backed by a 160-year-old company, Mass Mutual, a company you know that has been there. Today, we're going to take a call, throw out the Haven Lifeline to our uh, new friend, Dave. Our new friend, Dave in Tennessee. Say hi, Dave. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Dave from Tennessee. First-time caller, long-time listener. I talk a lot about guys in their basement, but I love what you two guys do down there. Okay, here's a serious question. Several years ago, I swore off credit cards after I plum messed up some real estate transactions. And I became gazelle intense on paying those suckers off. But now, I'm looking at all these darned award programs they're offering... Southwest Airlines will carry another passenger for free? You gotta be freaking kidding me. Who thinks up this sh**? And I said to the missus, How are we not doing this? I want to ask some of my friends. My daughter's pretty smart. But if they thought for a second I was even considering this after what I told listener... Uh, other friends. I'm pretty sure they'd hogtie me. Thanks, guys. 
Oh, gee, he raises some uh, serious concerns here. These uh, reward programs, uh, they look really good, but Dave, they can also bite you in the butt. Well, I, I mean, American Express or Southwest Airlines or Chase Bank or whatever, it's not giving away free airline tickets and and uh, hotel stays because of the kindness of their heart. They're doing it because it's a it's a loss leader of interest payments. The reality is, is that if you have one month worth of interest payments on your credit card at 25% interest or God knows what it is, then you've erased years worth of free, you know, free, free points or whatever it is, you know, whatever you're getting. So if you're going to play the reward game, you can't pay interest. You have to absolutely pay off your bill every single month. It's sexy. It's tempting. It's fun. Points guy uh, is a, a kind of a leader in this space and has a new app now. And you can download all of your points into this app and it tells you, <laughs> here's your points net worth. Slippery slope. It's very seductive, but one month worth of interest. I mean, think the, the best credit card rewards program is what? Maybe a 2% cashback card? Yeah, with an occasional 2, 2% cashback with like an occasional five if you do the thing they really yeah, want you to if do. You, if you press all these buttons and only buy gas this month or something. Yes. So average 2%. Well, the interest rate on a credit card is probably 24%. So one month of interest is equal to an entire year's worth of cash back. So you got to be careful. Watch out, Dave. Looks good, but uh, thanks for the call. Hope things going well. He sounded familiar. Maybe. Hey, that's going to do it for today. Lots of people to thank, but Doug will let you do that. We got one week to go left in our referral program for our awesome newsletter, stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Get yourself signed up. Help your friends get better financial tips. Unbiased financial tips, OG, coming straight to your mailbox. How great is that? Good stuff. Stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Second, uh, we're taking off to go, hopefully, to see you. I'm going to 40 states. OG's going to a bunch of them. 40 cities, I think you're going to, but okay. Oh, <laughs> did I say states? 40 states? I'm actually going to 28. Cheryl and I counted them the other day. We're going to 40 cities and 28 states. So uh, I'm passing f- through a few uh, that will just smile and wave. Are those but, your flyover um, states? <laughs> I think it's going to be trained through like uh, Connecticut. would love to stop and see you, Connecticut, but you can see us in New York City or uh, maybe up in Boston. So stackingbenjamins.com slash stacked for our tour. Last but not least, if you need to do better with your money, I think it's a great idea for you to think dream bigger. And the guy that can help you do that has been my buddy here the last decade on the show, Mr. OG. Stackingbenjamins.com slash OG to find him and his wonderful team. Wonderful man with a fantastic team. And uh, think bigger. A lot of sweet talking going on. Think bigger about your goals. Hey, OG, before we turn it over to Doug, I, I also got one more thing for you. Now what? Well, we did have Peter Lazaroff in the basement today. Ah. It's been killing me. How about that? Well. Peter Lazaroff in the basement. Didn't mean well, to make you upset. Yeah, jokes Should, on you. I've known sh- Peter a long time. Pretty good dude. He was a really good interview. Uh, yeah, but golly, what a terrible golfer. I played <laughs> golf with that guy. Just great human. Bad ball striker. Well, 10 years, you and me doing this and uh, didn't want to keep any secrets. Don't go to bed mad. There is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience, huh? And now, Doug, with that off my chest, what should we have learned today? I'll tell you what we should have learned today, everybody. First, take some advice from our guest, Peter Lazaroff. It was totally Peter Lazaroff. Better money management does not mean more complicated money management. Second, credit card rewards? Eh, they can be useful, but remember, they're made to trap you. But the big lesson? You can have more than one CFP in your life. You just need to be honest about your open CFP relationships. Just tell your CFP that you live a poly CFP lifestyle ahead of time and nobody gets hurt. Thanks to Peter Lazaroff. You can find him to tell him to stay away from your man at peterlazaroff.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. 
After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. No relationships were hurt in the filming of today's episode. Big thanks. Want to bet? Big, <laughs> big thanks to Paulette and the team and to Peter, by the way, for pulling that off. And and if we're really pulling the curtain back here in the after show, OG's the one that introduced us to Peter Lazaroff. And and OG was, you were the one that said, you guys are going to get along great. And uh, man, what a fun interview that was. That so. actually sounds like the start of many marital infidelities. It does. <laughs> You're going to love her. You're just going it's, it's to be, it's going to be great. <laughs> You're not making it better, Joe. Yeah. Fun show. Thanks to Doug and Paulette and Doc G for uh, dreaming up that episode. And holy crap, man. OG, you do a good spurned, uh, spurned spouse. Don't cross you. Hell hath no fury. <laughs> then OG scorn. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.